Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. So this morning we are kicking off a new series. Uh, if you're new to Celebration Church, we, we walk through scripture and walk through things in series and, and kind of put a theme on and kind of helps us hold on to it, have a little bit of a handle to chew on stuff. And, and here on Resurrection Sunday, we're kicking off a new series called Risen. And then we're going to be doing Risen for the next few weeks because it's not just about, the resurrection isn't just about the fact that the tomb got emptied. It was that life became available to you and I. And that what we want to do is begin to kind of break open the word and see and begin to look for the places where resurrection life should be invading our lives, where, where God's life can begin to transform our lives. And so let's go ahead. If you've got your um, notes open, you've got your version app open, let's go ahead and track along with that. And we're kind of taking our first steps on this with this concept that today we are celebrating that since Jesus is risen, we can live a new life. Because he's alive, we can live a new life. See, this, this Sunday, this Resurrection Sunday, it changed everything. It changed everything. The whole cycle of life and death and, and, and brokenness was stuck until Jesus came in, dealt in all of our brokenness, all of our anger, all of our sin and hatred and vile rejection of God was dumped out on Jesus on the cross. We crucified him. Our anger, our brokenness, our violence, humanity's crucified Jesus. And he took that and he put it in a borrowed grave and he came out of that grave to not bring judgment and hate on us, which maybe we deserved. But that wasn't what was in the heart of God. He wanted us to be able to that to be dealt with and put aside. And now we can have life. But the truth is, is we've got to look for that life. We've got to look for it. We've got, we got to be looking for it. Deuteronomy 30.19 says, I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. And you know what? If you want to look for death and cursing, it's not hard to find. Shows up on your news stream all the time. Shows up in your Facebook feed. Shows up all over the place. We can see pain and suffering and death and heartache all over the place and it it gets thrust into our lives whether we like it or not and we just spent some time in the roller coaster series kind of looking at how to invite God into the middle of our ups and downs and to be able to navigate that in a life-giving way but with that with that we since both are available to us we need to look we need to look for life Romans 6 says, therefore, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Not someday have a new life, not sometime when, when eternity begins, when Jesus has his second coming, that at some point in the future, new life. No, so that we can have it right now, but we've got, we've got to look for it. We've got to be watching for it, for God at work and moving in our lives. My, uh, we, this week, we got to celebrate my number two son, uh, Weston Rooster Clark, turned 18 this week. That's right. He's now able to join the military and 
and be legally an adult and do all sorts of adult things. And one of the very first adult things, adult? Not really. He's sitting there, he's got a, he loves Dr. Pepper. He pours a big old deal of Dr. Pepper and he looks at it. No ice, no anything, just Dr. Pepper. It was cold. And he goes to the fridge and he gets the uh, spray, uh, spray Cool Whip. And he just does a big old deal of Cool Whip. And I'm like, seriously, you're legally an adult now. Wow, that obviously doesn't happen in a moment. We begin to call those things. <laughs> I've just already botched it. <laughs> call those things that be not as though they were. There we go. Anyway, so Weston, when he was little, uh, most Clarks, or at least my household of Clarks, we are not early risers. That is not how we roll. Nine o'clock is a pretty good time to get out of bed. So, 10 is even better. And um, so, we, on the weekends, when we sleep in, I mean, we like to sleep in. Turn everything off. Just let it go. Breakfast is brunch. And that's the way it rolls. And so, but Weston has like something else in him, especially when he was little. And he would just get up early in the morning. And his nickname is Rooster. We sh should have called him that because he got up at the crack of dawn. Um, but it was already that before we even, he even was able to get out of his own bed. And uh, so he would sit there and get up. We're every whole household is trying to sleep. He would get out of bed, come in to our room, and begin to wake us up. And we're like, dude, seriously, we're sleeping. Everybody's sleeping. Go back to your bed. And mope along, go back, to his, go back to his bed. And finally, Cutie came up with a plan. And she told him, she said, uh, you stay in bed. Until you see that the sun is out and when the sun comes out Then you can get out of bed and so because he would come in It's you know when the sun wasn't even out and try to wake us up. It's like what's happening. Are you sick? No, I'm just ready to get up and uh, So he finally would sit there and he learned that he would stay in his little bed and he would sit there and he would just wait And look at his window and just wait for the sun to come out finally he'd begin to see a little bit of glimmer of light Finally begin to say, nope, nope, but for sure, this is, this is, it's up. He'd get out of his bed, come down the hall, come into our room, begin to shake the bed and say, the sun is out, the sun is out, the sun is out. I want some cereal. I want to get up and watch a show. Come on, everybody get up. The sun is out, the sun is out. But the truth is, is that he knew right when the darkness began to fade and the light began to come in because he was looking for it. The rest of us began to enjoy the light of the day way too late into the day. But he was sitting there looking for it. I'm telling you, God is at work in your life and he will push back the darkness. And he's at work bringing fresh light into your life. But you've got to begin to look for it. You can easily begin to sit there and miss the sunrise if you're looking in the wrong direction. And it looks like just darkness over there. And the first rays of the day begin to poke over the, the, the horizon right behind you. The day is breaking, but if you're not looking for it, you will miss it. Ephesians 2, verses, <clears throat> starting with verse 4, says, But because of His great love for us, God who is rich in mercy. Let's pause right there. God who is rich in mercy. Praise God that God's a rich God. That we can trust Him for our needs. And we can, we can, we can live crazy generous lives. Because God is a wonderful generous God. 
But praise God, most of all, that God is rich in mercy. That the, whatever you think you've done, whatever you think you've piled up, the debt of sin and shame, however big you think it is, God's mercy is richer than that. It goes beyond that. Whatever hole you think you've dug, God's mercy is richer than that. I think it was amen in me. I don't know. It was distorted. It's richer. God made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ. And sealed us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. God is rich in mercy. And he has shown us grace so that he can show us grace. It says you would think that the apex, the, the top of his outpouring of mercy, the outpouring of grace would be that while we were still dead in our transgressions, that Christ died for us. You'd think that would be the top of it. That's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing. Well, we didn't give a rip about God. Well, we didn't care what was happening. Well, we didn't, well, we didn't care about any of that stuff. God gave his son, Jesus willingly died, willingly went to the cross. That sounds like the absolute top of it, but it's not. It's the beginning. He gave us grace so that he could give us even more grace, so he could begin to show the fullness of his goodness. This is one of those things you have to be alive to live. And so he made us alive in Christ so that now we can begin to live. We can believe, live in the fullness of of his grace and he wants to pour it out in our lives see we all know the stories we've seen the storylines the movies your, your favorite Netflix series uh, uh, that it shows up that there's always this place at some point there's this place of tension and the person the, the beloved individual gets trapped by something somebody and then the hero comes along and faces all sorts of different obstacles and pushes through. Puts their own life and safety aside and comes through and saves the day and, and grabs that person from the clutches of what had, had them and, and had them in danger. And never once, never once do you see them go, okay, good. Set them on the curve and go, you're welcome. And leave. No, you save your beloved because you want to begin to pour more love out on them. You go because you want all the days ahead to show more and more and more love. You responded with love. You made the save. You got in there and saved them from what had them so that you can begin to pour out more and more love. See, that is the beauty of this life in Christ. This is why it's so exciting to know God better and to trust him more. Because our, we first awakened to the truth that he loved us so much, he sent Jesus. And if he was going to do that, scripture says, how will he not with him give us all things, everything that we need for life? See, the resurrection, it was not supposed to be a big surprise. It was supposed to be looked for. Resurrection life was supposed to be looked for. Jesus wanted his disciples to be expecting it. 
And as us, modern-day disciples, there are things we should be expecting God to do in our lives, that, that, his, that He would fulfill what He said He would do. And sadly, as we think of back to the original Resurrection Sunday, when the grave was emptied, Sadly, there was no one standing there looking for it, even though Jesus told them this was how it was going to go down. Let's look at Matthew 16. Matthew 16, verse 20 says, Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. He even told them who was going to perpetrate it, who was going to do it. He says, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to new life. I think killing requires some dying. He's going to have to die and be raised to, thir- to death, <clears throat> I mean raised to life on the third day. Now here Jesus is telling all his disciples and Peter, the most outspoken, brash, bold one of the group. At some point as Jesus is telling what's going to go down, Peter kind of grabs a hold of one little piece of the narrative, and he just camps there. Because if he would have followed Jesus through all the way where it said that he's going to be killed and then raised to life, he would have, he would have stuck this. He wouldn't have responded like he did. So verse 22 says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Here's Peter. He takes Jesus. Jesus, the, the Son of God who was with God there in the creation, who's been a part of this thing the whole time, who knows exactly what's going on. He all of a sudden decides that Jesus kind of knew what he was doing all this time, but now Jesus, Jesus has a bad plan. So, ah, man, Jesus, you're doing so good. Man, this is, this, but this is a bad plan. Ah, come on. At least he was kind enough to kind of take him aside. Come on, Jesus, come on. Come on. Uh, we, uh, I've got to talk to you for a second here. Jesus, no, no, this is not how this is going to go down. In fact, we have Peter's words right here. He says, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Never, this shall never happen to you. Peter was so fixated. We know Peter's not saying, Jesus, you are not coming out of the grave. If this happens, you get in the grave, you're just going to stay there, Jesus. He's not fixated on that part. He's not, Jesus says, I'm going to be raised back to life. Peter's not fixated on the raised to life part. Peter got stuck at the killed part. Peter got stuck at the death part. And he fixated on the death part. Every time we fixate on the death part, we will, that is all we will see and that is where we will stay. I'm telling you, whatever you fixate on, you will stay right there. If there's a problem happening in your life, if you fixate on the problem, you're going to stay right there with it. The solution may be right next to it. The solution may be walking up. And if you're fixated on the problem, you will stay right there. You won't be able to progress. That's why we have to look for life. God is at work even in the middle of it. Jesus said the death was coming, but life was coming on the other side of it. And Peter got stuck. He's like, I don't even want to deal with the death part. I don't even want that. Never, never, never. No. And Jesus has to tell him, 
turned to him and said, nice, sweet, little precious moments, Jesus. Had the little cherub face. Says, get behind me, Satan. Now this is crack the whip, Jesus. Says, get behind me, Satan. Satan means the accuser. See, Jesus said that he had a plan. Jesus presented the plan that he was going to die. That these who should have been recognizing that he was the Messiah are actually the ones who are going to kill him. But he's going to come back to life. And Satan and, and Peter, standing in the role of Satan, saying that, you know what? That no, we don't ever want this to happen. Peter is so fixated, so fixated on the death part that he can't get to the resurrection part. And in this place of accusation, being the accuser, Peter's basically accusing Jesus of not being able to follow through with what he promised he was going to do. And you know what? Every time you and I fixate on our problems, make our problems bigger, make our problems so huge, where we sit there in our, in our heart, we're accusing God of not being able to come through on his promises. We're sitting there in our heart saying, God, I just, I just don't know that you're going to be able to pull this one out. When his scripture has told us that he is with us and he is for us. And it may get dark and it may get ugly and it may even get bloody. But it is not going to end there. It is not. We have to sit there and look for life. Look for resurrection life. It says, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Every time we get stuck, it's because we always look at it from a human perspective. We never bring in the God perspective. Every time we get stuck, we sit there and you go, what? You know what? Well, this relationship is done. This marriage is stuck. Well, maybe from a human aspect, maybe it's stuck. But let's factor God in there. You know what? Our finances are so messed up. Our finances are so jacked up. You look at it from a human perspective, maybe so. But we look at it from a God perspective, there's another answer. We have to look at things. Man, my kid has gone astray. My kid's gone crazy. You know what? There's another answer. There's another answer. See, John 10, 17 and 18, there's another moment where Jesus tells his disciples to be looking for the resurrection. He says, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Jesus wasn't a victim. Jesus walked in knowing what was going to happen and knowing he had the authority to deal with all of it. And he took all the violence and rage and everything that humanity had to throw and he sat there and he absorbed all of it and left none of it undealt with. So now that we can have life. We can have life. Here's what's crazy. Let's look at Matthew 27. The ones who were going to kill Jesus, the, the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers of the law, um, they heard Jesus teach as well. They were listening. They followed him around. They tried to catch him in different stuff. And finally he was too smart. And he, he made them look dumb too many times and they quit. But they listened to everything he had to say. They wanted to catch him in heresy. They wanted to catch him saying wrong stuff. Man, they listened. And they knew he said he was going to come out after three days. 
But yet the ones who Jesus told were not looking for the life. Let's look at this. Verse 62 says, The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, After three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate said. Go and make the tomb as secure as you know how. So he went and he made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. So they were anticipating it. They didn't think he would really do it. He's not the son of God. He's a charlatan. He's going to just have some sort of trickery. His disciples are going to be focused on this resurrection thing. And they're going to sneak in and they're going to grab the body and go, Ooh, he's alive, he's alive. And they're going to make this big, this big thing about it. That They weren't even looking for it. They were scared. They were afraid that the, that the same people that crucified Jesus were going to come after them for being his followers. They were huddled up. In fact, let's look at Luke 24. It says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb. Now, the Israelite people had learned some things while they were in Egypt and had brought it into their culture. And part of it was the preparation of a body for burial. And they, they had the spices and the, the aloes and the oils and they would do that. And Jesus had to be put in a tomb so quickly because uh, he was, had been crucified. They didn't want him on the, on the cross while, he was, while the Sabbath took place. So they bring him down real quickly, and they do a real quick barrel, and they stick him in this borrowed tomb. And so there were these ladies who want to finish the job, give Jesus a proper burial. So they're there on the third day, first thing in the morning, walking up. They've got their death supplies, all their embalming stuff, Carrying it up, ready to go find a dead Jesus. When he had said he was going to be alive, Jesus. But they're ready to go find a dead Jesus. And they took the spices they prepared and they went to the tomb. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them and in their fright, the women bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? You're supposed to be looking for life. And you're looking for death. Why are you doing this? Why? He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he still was with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered onto the hands of sinners and be crucified and on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered his words. How many of Jesus' words are us, his disciples, still not looking for him to make good? How many of his promises do we just let sit idly and not sit there and look for life? How many do we not look for him to be at work in our lives, in the lives of our family, in the life of our community, in the life of our world? There's some big things Jesus himself prayed for. There's some big stuff that he promised. We need to be looking for life. 
See, living in the risen life requires us to look for the risen life. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10 says, However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. No eye has seen, no ear, no human mind has conceived these things. But the spirit of God wants us to get them. God's not trying to keep some mystery from us. He wants wants the Holy Spirit to reveal them to us. He wants us to see them. But if we're not looking for them, we're not going to see them. See, the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Our band is going to come up right now. We have a a song that that just so expresses how we need to be looking for the life. How easily we can get stuck. Focusing on our own mistakes, our own shortcomings, the happenings of the moment, and forget that there's a promise that will carry us through on the other side. Colossians 3, verse 1 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. You've already been raised with Christ. Set your mind there. We can be raised and be looking in the wrong place. If you want to look for the old patterns, you want to look for the old habits, you want to look for the old mess, you'll find it. I promise you. But at the same time, if you want to look for life, it is there. If you want to look for life, you'll find it. It is there. Jesus Christ was raised to change everything. To change everything, set your minds on things that are above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. What, how, how, do we, how do you find something that's hidden? you got to look for it. you got to look for it. The kids in children's church know that. They know how to play hide and seek. You go look for it. We have to be looking for God being at work. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Praise God. Jesus is alive. John 1.16 says, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. This morning I want you to understand that God wants to give you grace upon grace. Maybe this morning he's like, I, I've asked for too much. I've asked for too much. No. No, you haven't. Because he's a God, he needs to give you all you need. Let him pour out his grace upon grace. See, I love my little three-year-old Weston's phrase. The sun is out. The sun is out. You see, the son of God is out. He is out of the grave. He is alive. And it has changed everything. The bottom line this morning is is that Jesus was raised to life so that we can be raised to life. He was raised so we can be raised. See, the risen life is found in trusting God to do what he said he would do. Look for life. Look for it. Look for it. It's easy to find the death. It's easy to find the pain. It's easy to find the other. Look for life. Look for things going in a God direction. Look for it. His resurrection life is there. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. 
We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.